Welcome to the podcast of Azel Christian Church. We are a Disciples of Christ Church community in Azel, Texas. We invite everyone to be who you are with us, the doubting, the believing, the wondering, and everything in between. On this podcast, you'll hear our pastor, Reverend Ashley Dargai, preach on how the expansive and generative love of God is seen through Jesus, the prophets, the early church, and the faith forebears, and how this love helps us care for the world more deeply and faithfully. Sometimes it's messy and tough, but it's good news, and it is for you. Our scripture for this morning is from John 11:17 through 37, and it's on the back of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. So they followed her, because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. And when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he? who opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We are doing something this morning that we shouldn't. We're hopping in the middle of a story and isolating a portion of it rather than reading it as a whole together. Normally, we try to read stories in their entirety, So we get all the context available to us, the characters, the conflict, the geographical information, the timestamps, the feel of the particular gospel. 
you know, Matthew is talking to Jewish people specifically. Mark is in a hurry. Luke needs you to know every single detail and cheats off of Mark a lot. And John, well, he's a different bird. Some gospels begin with a story or a reference to the Hebrew Bible to set the scene. But John starts with a poem about the beginning of existence. No big deal. And reading stories in their entirety is important because we need as much help as we can get when approaching the strange stories of our sacred text. It's a story written by and for people in a different millennium, in a different religion, in a different culture, on a different continent. Imagine trying to explain pagers to kids today. Not just what they are, but why we needed them, who still uses them, why they became mostly obsolete, the technology, everything. And this explanation is all because there is a story that mentions someone losing their pager. And then multiply the complexity of that task by like 200. But we're ignoring all of that wisdom this morning. I won't tell if you won't. You are familiar with the story that we're in today, the miraculous resurrection of Lazarus. And we don't have to agree, agree on the fact or embellishment of this story. We just have to nod that a miracle has happened, according to John. But considering this story is known as the resurrection of Lazarus, that his death is the main conflict of the story, the time given to the actual resurrecting is minuscule. What's given the most time instead is Jesus' conversations with Mary, with Martha, with his disciples. What's given the most narrative space is not the miracle, but the grief. Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, are dear friends of Jesus. And we didn't read it, but earlier in the text, Mary is referenced as the one who anointed Jesus' feet with perfume. So she's a legend. And while traveling, Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick. And he decides not to rush over and help, but rather to hang out where he is for a couple of days. And by the time he visits the family, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And four is the magic number culturally to tell us that Lazarus is dead, dead. Make no mistake about it, he's very dead. And when Jesus finally moseys on over to the family house, he has some explaining to do. Martha comes to him first. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Mary will say the exact same thing in a few minutes, which makes me think that these sisters had been having conversations before Jesus arrived. And they don't make requests of Jesus, which I find interesting. They just present him with the facts. Jesus, Lazarus died. We told you he was sick. You didn't come. And if you had, maybe Lazarus wouldn't have died. You can hear their anguish in this haunting hypothetical. And Jesus responds, something, something, resurrection, that Martha doesn't quite understand, and we don't need to focus on right this minute. Because what is isolated in this exchange between Jesus and the sisters is that they were both hoping for a healing from the great healer, the miracle worker. 
I mean, what's the use of having a wonder-working friend if they have you wondering where they are when you need them most? This seems to be the sentiment of the crowd at the end of our reading, too. No use in having special God powers if you can't use them on your friends. And as Jesus listens to Mary, he is surrounded by the cries of the mourners around him. Wailing echoes in the halls of the house, and he seems to be overcome by what has happened. So he asks Mary, the anointing prophetess herself, where is he? Where have you laid him? And they go together to the tomb, and Jesus begins to weep. We know how the story ends, a part we didn't read together today. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, and stinky, formerly dead Lazarus stumbles out in burial rags with life in his eyes. So we know where the story is going. So I wonder why Jesus is weeping, not just tearful at the pain of his friends, but chest-heaving, snot-dripping sobs at the tomb. Was he weeping for his friend, for himself, who would taste death as well in Jerusalem? Was he weeping because of the reality of death and what it does to our lives? Who can discern the ways of God? Rabbi Ariel Berger, a devoted student of Holocaust survivor Elie Wiesel, tells the story of his son's friend, Mason. His son and Mason went to Poland on a school trip, and while they were there, they visited Auschwitz, the infamous concentration camp. And during their stay in the country, Mason disappears for a day and doesn't return for dinner. So the next morning, Berger's son asked Mason where he was, and Mason tells him a story. My grandparents were Jews in Poland when the Nazis invaded, and they were married, and three weeks later, they were detained at Auschwitz. The men and women were separated, and at the end of each day, my grandpa would sneak a potato or a piece of bread to my grandma over the fence. But one day, my grandma was not at the fence. She had been transferred to work on a rabbit farm in the women's camp, where the Nazis did experiments on the rabbits. And the rabbits were supplied by a local Polish rabbit farmer, who quickly realized that his rabbits were treated much more humanely than the prisoners. So he began to sneak in food to them whenever he could. And while working on the farm, Mason's grandma got a cut on her arm that became infected. And it wasn't life-threatening as long as someone had antibiotics. But of course, the Nazis were not going to provide this kind of medical care to the ones they imprisoned. And it seemed like she was going to die from the infection. So the rabbit farmer, realizing her condition, cut his arm, touched his wounds to her, hers, to get the infection, and the next day went to talk to the Nazi officers. And he said, I'm your best rabbit farmer, and if I die from this infection, you will lose all the progress you've made. So they gave him antibiotics, and the rabbit farmer shared them with Mason's grandma, who recovered, and he saved her life. 
And while in Poland, Mason found that his rabbit farmer was still alive. And on the day he disappeared from the group, he was visiting the farmer. And he went to say, thank you for my life. What does it mean for someone to touch their wound to another's? To share in the wound of someone so othered, yet so near. We are collectively experiencing complicated grief. A kind of loss that has not had appropriate venues for mourning. I mean, even in our normal times, what our culture deems as appropriate timelines and expressions of grief is anemic. But these two past years have been catastrophically bad. So many people have died, and we have not been able to have funerals, bring casseroles, visit hospital rooms. So many things have been lost And we've tried to grapple with it over Zoom, over Facebook Live, doing the best we can, knowing it's not the same as weeping together at the tomb. And our grief is quite backlogged. And while we sort through it, it comes spilling out in weird ways, in a desire for control, in accusations like Mary and Martha's, Lord, if you had been there in demands for a normal that will never be again, in constant activity, in emotional paralysis. We want some healing. We want a miracle. But God, we're so tired of waiting. So isn't it interesting that even with Lazarus alive again in just a few verses, He will never be alive again without the touch of death. He was dead for days. His resurrection does not erase the experience of death for him and his sisters. It is resurrection, after all, not a preservation of what was. It was a miracle, not a recovery. So perhaps in John, The miracle is in the camaraderie, in the in-it-togetherness, in the fact that if we're going to weep, we're going to be surrounded by people weeping with us. That the one who was there at the creation of the cosmos, as John tells us, is right there at the end too, saying, you're right, it's not fair. Death has wrought havoc and has marked you in a way that you will never be the same. And also, I am here with you too. We all have our haunting hypotheticals, our if-onlys. If only they had not gotten sick. If only we had gotten there sooner. If only I had locked the door. If only I had said goodbye. And Jesus takes them all, and says, I know, I know. That is a miracle. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Azel Christian Church Podcast. 
Azel Christian Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through meaningful liturgy during worship, a public witness through outreach in the community, the nurturing of the spiritual life of every age group, and the witness of each member through discipleship, baptism, and the sharing of resources. To support this podcast and the ministries of Azel Christian Church, visit azelchristianchurch.org. Here you can contribute through giving online or find our Venmo information. If you're looking for a church or simply want to talk to one of our ministers, contact us through our website and we will be in touch. Talk to you soon.